Well, welcome back to the Reeves Podcasting Network. We're doing our tennis podcast today called Serve and Volley. This is our second episode. Glad to be joined once again with our friend from the north, Franklin Rubenstein. How's Toronto today, Franklin? Toronto is beautiful, and I won't have to throw in Fahrenheit. I'll just say it's about 75 and sunny, so very nice. Well, we're expecting 100 today here. Holy cow. Yeah, 100 we're going to hit today, supposedly. So So we got that going for us. Uh, So on today's show, we're going to talk about the French Open, maybe just a couple of things as we uh, prepare for the grass court season and then get the heck on out of here. We'll start with the uh, women. Uh, Once again, uh, I will point out that on on our last episode... We made predictions for the uh, champions, and who did you pick, Franklin? You want to I remind I, everybody? I think I picked Halb to win, didn't I? Yes, yes, you did. And who did I pick? And you want to remind everybody? Uh, you took Maria Sharapova. Okay, there we go. So, but let me just tell you this: I was rooting for Sharapova since I pre- predicted, you know, that she would win. But in, about midway through the second set. I completely switched to Halep because I cannot stand the way Sharapova plays. Is she not the most annoying player out there just with the grunting and the, the time she takes in between serves and, and holding up Halep? It's just it's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? I, I can live with the grunting. Um, the gamesmanship really bothers me, and I cannot tolerate the fist pump after a player hits the ball in the net. Oh. I'm 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 okay if you celebrate a winner, but if you are fist pumping and doing that little Sharapova pump she does after a double fault, uh, I, I've got no time for her for that. And the time in between points, people complain about Rafa. At least Rafa is playing 25 point rallies running over the court. Sharapova hits the ball, you know, seven times and is taking 37, 38 seconds between the point. What's the point of having an umpire putting a clock there? It, it, it reached a point on Saturday that I, I thought was disgraceful for the game. I, it, it, she hit a new low for me. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I was completely rooting against her midway through that match. And, you know, I mean, you got to give her credit. She did win and she overcame, you know, all her double faults. But, I mean, it's just, you know, every after every point, too, you know, she kind of turns towards the, the, the back wall and has to, like, refocus on every point. I mean, you really need to do that every single point. I mean, I guess it's been successful for her, but still, it kind of, like you said, it hurts the game, I think, a little bit. Well, we, you know what? There are so many great players who are able to refocus on every point, and they do it in a manner that is quicker and is less distracting for the opposition. Um, I mean, we all watch Rafa and what he does in between every point and, you know, the poking and prodding, but it's not distracting to the opponent. It isn't. He might take time, but he's in position. He's not loud. And it just seems a lot more classy, for lack of a better term. And and watching Sharapova, I don't think we're the only people who have a problem with it. It's an issue in the women's game. And the fact that her grunt gets louder on more important, intense points also you know, it's troublesome, I think. And and it's an issue that's not going away, and it's an issue that Stacey Allister, the, the CEO of the Women's Tour, needs to address. And they need to figure something out, because when you're when someone like Sharapova is playing in so many important matches on the biggest women's stage, and people are turning off because the way she behaves, that that's a serious problem for the Tour. I don't know, I don't know what they can do. I don't know how they would legislate something in. I, I don't know if you have any ideas on what they can do, but it, it is a problem. 
Well, I think uh, one of the things you, you mentioned it earlier is why is the chair umpire not doing something during the match? I mean, you know what she does. You have to give her some, some time violation warnings and start taking points away. That's the only thing that's going to fix it, I, I would think. I mean, that's got to be the number one thing you can do is you got to enforce the rules out there. Yeah, I'm with you. But uh, let's talk uh, a little bit, too, about Halep. you got to give her credit for you know making the final. She had a great clay court season. She's kind of skyrocketed up the rankings in the last six months, and uh, she really played well this tournament, don't you think? I thought she was, I mean, she was dominant reaching the final. She hadn't dropped a set. And, you know, everyone says playing in your first major final is different than any other match. And I think, uh, I mean, many people just expected, you know, the the quick. We've seen so many lopsided French Open women's finals, and this seemed like it could happen. I think a lot of people had questions. It was great to watch her compete, to come back in that second set, make Sharapova really earn the match. Um, and it solidified her as a top five player. And I, I think everyone now realizes she's a legitimate threat. She moves extraordinarily well on the clay. And you'd have to think in the next couple of years, she's got to be a, of that next generation of players. She has to be someone you think is going to get a major, certainly on the clay with the way she moves. I, I came away really impressed. So I was thinking, you know, when we we're going to talk about this podcast and, uh, Obviously, I, I think you would agree that Serena Williams is the number one player in the world. She's the top player. But who would you say is number two? I still think Azarenka, for, for my money, is number two when she's healthy. Um, you know, her and Sharapova ha- had play- have played a lot of tight mass- matches in the past couple of years, and it seems like Azarenka wins those matches, especially on the harder courts. Um, and Azarenka, to me is the player that when Serena is playing her best, can stay with her. You know, she competes really well. She's, I just feel like her competitive tendencies and, and her ability to raise the level of her game has stacked up well even with Serena at her best. Um, so to me, when she's healthy, she's number two. And I think to me, to those two players, um, again, at their best, have sort of separated themselves from the rest of women's tennis. I don't know what you think, but... I'm a big Azarenka fan. I mean, I think I'd agree with you that Azarenka, when she's on top of her game, is probably number two. But she just seems like she hasn't been the same since she got hurt at uh, Wimbledon last year, you know, when she took that terrible fall and then had to pull out. She hasn't been the same player. I might, I mean, if if they were all playing right now and I you threw Serena out, who would I take? Probably in, a, in just a normal tournament would probably be I'll go with Lee Na, even though she lost in the first round. But, you know, that kind of stuff, that can happen. You know, the women's game, you know, once Serena, you know, she's kind of a level above. But once you take her out, then it's kind of anybody's game, you know, in in a a grand slam. And then when you have the clay, usually that favors someone like Sharapova. You know, the one thing I was looking at Sharapova is, you know, everyone thinks she's had a very good career. It's hard to imagine that. She's 2-16 and 16 all-time versus Serena, and her two wins came in 2004, like 10 years ago. Where, where do you think Sharapova would be remembered if, that, if she was, you know, 8-10 and 10 or something, you know, certainly more respectable against Serena? Yeah, she obviously, you know, Serena and, uh, is a tough matchup for her, and, you know, it's a tough matchup for anybody, but, yeah, particularly for Sharapova, but... You know, you look at Sharapova, she has won the career Grand Slam. 
Now she's won them all at least once. Even though I think she's only won them all once, except for now the French. And uh, but she, you know, she's gonna. Re I think she'll be remembered, kind of like a, you know, not one of the obviously not one of the all-time best, but you know, like a Lindsay Davenport, you know, who won a few slams here and there. You know, that, you know, she's all right, but you know, she at least. You know, she when she burst on the scene, she was kind of, uh, she was like the second version of Anna Kornikova. You know, this beautiful, you know, model type. You know, and it was it was it all looks and marketing, but she's really proven to, you know, she was a lot more than that. She's had a great career, and uh, she played really well, uh, not only at the French, but the whole clay court season. She won, well, you know, Madrid and. Go ahead. I, I never would have expected that. You might look back at her career, and Clay will end up being her best service. Yeah, it's yeah, it's strange, but that's what it's turned out to be. It's surprising. Yeah. Speaking of someone who uh, can play well on the clay, let's move on to the men and Rafael Nadal winning his ninth French Open title, fifth in a row, beating Novak Djokovic in a, a really a tough match for both players. Uh, both of them had trouble. What were your feelings on the? The doll getting the victory over Novak. I guess for me, it's a it's a bit of a letdown because I don't necessarily feel either of them were at their best on Sunday. Um, you could tell, joke uh, to me, you could tell Djokovic wasn't physically a hundred percent, and it's not an excuse because it's a long tournament, and and that's part of the deal when you get to a clay court final is managing your fitness and all those things. I mean, a stomach ailment to me is slightly different than fatigue or cramping because I think it's, it's not a function of playing a lot. It's because of something else. But I just, I, I want, you know, last year at the French Open in 2013, when they played, it was such a high-quality match. The semifinal was arguably the best clay court match I'd ever seen. And... I would have liked this final to have been that. And just based on how they were physically, it was never going to measure up. So I, I'm a little disappointed. It doesn't take away from winning, but it, to me, it just, it, it didn't, it didn't meet the expectations or maybe the hopes that I'd had for that final. Yeah, I agree. It, if you were, you know, I think a lot of people were expecting the same match as last year. It didn't happen. You know, it was, it was a good match, but it wasn't, and it had some high quality shots, but it wasn't last year by any means. So that was a little disappointing. But you know, both players played pretty well. You know, up until you know, Novak had that lull in this second and third set. But you know, in the post press conference, he said that he felt a little better in the fourth set, and he was hoping you know maybe he could take that. And moving on to a fifth, and he felt better. He could take the the match, but uh, you know, I was surprised. You you don't really see Nadal. I mean, Nadal and Novak played a almost six hour match in Australia. Uh, he he played a, a five set match. I remember Nadal played a five set match against Verdasco in the semis. That was like a five hour match, and then he had to come back in the final and played another five set match against against Roger. And he never cramped up, you know. He never seemed to have those ailments where, you know, he was dehydrated or that. And it was interesting that it was, you know, in the fourth set where he was having so many problems with cramping. And you usually never see that from Nadal. 
No, it's a, it's a huge. You only see it in the post match uh, press conference, I guess. You see it. <laughs> now it was a surprise, and maybe the heat. You know, maybe they weren't hydrated level. I, maybe it's just contagious at high level sports these days, right? Right. I know. <laughs> well, Novak obviously had the stomach issues. But uh, I guess you could say, you know, Novak will never be a, a Pete Sampras because Pete Sampras, when he had his stomach issues on the court, he actually won that match. Although He, he did, but I think one might argue Alex Karecha at the U.S. Open <laughs> is different than Rafa at the French based on their records. Yes, yes, that's true. But it, it was still a, a good tournament, uh, a great tournament for Ernest Gulbis, who made a nice, strong run. What do you think about his game, and do you think he can – Bring up his level. I I believe when the rankings come out, he's now a top ten player. He's tenth. Do you think he can continue to rise, kind of like uh, Wawrinka, or do you think he might fall back in, into the the twenties again? I mean, I think Gulbis has always had the talent. We've always heard that, right? That this guy can hit the ball so well, and that it's his 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 commitment to fitness and just his general commitment. And you know, we we've seen him tank and match it, not tank, but certainly not compete at the level. Um, people hey, expect hey, him to. Hey, let, let's, but let's say Tank. Hey. To me, he, I could see him being a top 10 player just by virtue of talent. I don't know, though. Uh, again, it's cracking that top three or four guys. It's so hard. I don't think he's going to be able to do it, truthfully. I, he sort of, you know, he might be able to pull off an upset here or there, but, you know, to break through and to get into semis and finals of majors, it's not something I'm willing to uh, I don't have a lot of confidence in him to do that. And do you think part of the reason he made the run was because of the clay? It seems like he plays a lot better on the clay than he does any other surface. Do you think it could be a, a case where you know he pops up every spring? And I don't know, though. I, I, I think his game could translate. I don't necessarily think his game should be restricted to clay. Um, and, you know, again, uh, I don't want to diminish his win over Roger by any stretch, but this this isn't the same Roger Federer in 2014. It just, it just isn't. And the win over, to me, almost, the, it wasn't the win over Roger that was so impressive. It was his next victory over Burdich, and the way he did it, to me, was so impressive. Three stretch, three sets backing up a huge win, a five-set victory. That, that, to me, was almost the more impressive victory. I don't know. Do you think he can do it long-term? I have my doubts. I have my doubts. He, you know, he says that he's now addicted to winning and he's going to put all this work in now and, you know, he's going to be a top 10 player and be a contender. I, I'm still a little wary of that. I mean, we'll see. I think he can be someone who hangs around, you know, maybe gets to a fourth round if he's lucky, but I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be someone who is a threat to win a, a Grand Slam, you know, each time out, like the top four, four or five players. But it was still a very good tournament for him. And, you know, we'll see what he does the rest of the season. I mean, he has Wimbledon and he has the U.S. Open in the hard court season. We'll see if his game will translate and if he, you know, can continue his good play over the summer. So where do you, what do you think about Novak? Uh, he... Loses again at the French. He's the one Grand Slam he hasn't won. Do you think this one will be harder on him than the others, or do you think Novak will just continue to be Novak and maybe win a Slam uh, later on this year? 
Well, I, I think he's probably a little disturbed that he's lost three major finals in a row. And that has to be, you know, your window, window of opportunity is so big and so long. And I think that, I'm sure that has to be disappointing. But, you know, the French is not his best surface. He clearly wasn't 100%. Um, I think he'll bounce back pretty well for Wimbledon. I don't think this, I don't think this one is going to hurt as much as maybe others have. Um, so I, 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 I would expect, I'm not necessarily thinking he's going to win Wimbledon, but I, I don't think there's going to be too much of a hangover for him. I don't, I don't think this was one of his hardest, worst losses. So now we move on to grass and Wimbledon and, and the one problem I have with this is the schedule. Why Wimbledon, I don't know about you, but Wimbledon is my favorite tournament of the year. It's the one I look forward to the most, but it seems like they just kind of throw grass the grass court season right in the middle of everything and they don't even take any time off. I mean, the, 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 uh, warmup tournaments for Wimbledon started today. They're already playing on the grass. And I, right before he went on, I was on Twitter and I saw Nadal, there's pictures of him arriving already in Germany for the grass court tournament. So my question is, and I know next year they did say they're going to add an extra week, uh, in between the French and, and Wimbledon. So they'll have a little bit more time, but don't you think they should, you know, make the grass court season a little more spread out, A. And B, is Rafa crazy for playing a grass court tournament this soon after playing in the French? Yeah, <laughs> well, to answer your first question, I, I think three weeks will make a significant difference. I do. I think it might be hard for North American players. If you, if you put more time in between, a lot of players then might go home and you're talking about extra costs. So it's not a big deal necessarily for the top 15, 20 players in the world. But I, th I think once you get outside that, to ask players to commit to stay in Europe for five or six weeks or longer than that might just be too much of a cost for a lot of people. So I think that's why you're always going to see the three-week break in between. And I think three weeks is enough time. I think if you wanted to take a week off the French which is not unreasonable, and then come right back and do two weeks of grass court prep, I think that should be enough time. I do. Um, in terms of the Rafa question, Rafa is a little crazy. That's what makes him so great. Um, he clearly was disappointed with the way Wimbledon, I mean, Wimbledon ended so quickly and so shockingly for him last year. I'm sure he's extraordinarily committed to coming back, and, and he's trying to do something that people don't do, which is win the French and Wimbledon back-to-back. -back, so... I love that he's back out there. I, it is crazy, and I can't imagine doing it. But uh, but that's probably what makes you know his 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 desire makes him so special. The first question to answer my own question, I I would say I think it seems like I mean I don't know when exactly the clay court season starts, the exact date, but I I believe the first major tournament's Monte Carlo. Yeah, just March maybe. I think it's a little after because they do Indian Wells and they do Miami, and Miami usually ends I think first right. week in April. So it's a couple. I think it's mid mid April, mid to late April. No, no, <laughs> it's not mid to late April because you have Monte Carlo, you got Madrid and Rome. Those three tournaments you can't fit that in between in one month. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll deal with this next time. I have to look that up, but I have to look that up, but. But uh, I just think it seems like they play a significant clay court season. And don't forget, they had that tournament, too, in Barcelona that Nadal played in, and he lost to, um, who's that Spanish player? 
Not Ferrer. No. No, who is it? Come on, Almagro. Oh. Almagro, he lost to in Barcelona. So you have the Barcelona uh, tennis tournament as well. So, I don't know. I mean... But if you look around internationally, clay is played, especially in Europe. It's, it's such a dominant surface. I don't have a problem with the clay season being so long. I think it's a little... Uh, it was, this year it was played... Started April 13th. That would be mid-April. That's right. All right. <laughs> Boy, it seems like a lot longer than that. But, you know, and then you also have the hard court season, too, where you have Cincinnati and Indianapolis and a couple other tournaments in America here. Plus, you, have, oh, yeah. you know, it seems like they could shorten that a little bit as well. It seems like... Well, they come up to Canada, too, which is the real jewel before the U.S. Open. That's right. They have the Canadian Open, too. So... Is it in Toronto or Montreal? Isn't the women in one and the men are in the other? I think, I think the men are in Toronto this year. Okay. So there you go. So, um, I got a question for you. What did you make of the news of, uh, before he's defending his Wimbledon championship, Andy Murray hi- hiring Emily Moresmo over the weekend? You know, it's I don't have a problem with it at all. I mean, it's unusual because, you know, it's a woman coaching a man. I don't have a problem with it. I mean, if he feels that that's going to work for him, then, you know, you know, that's good. I don't whoever is, works best with any individual player, you know, is fine. I don't have a problem with it. I, you know, when he was playing, I really hated Yvonne Lendl, but I kind of liked him as Andy Murray's coach and he did a lot of good things for him and obviously Murray won a couple of slams under Lendl and so if Moresmo can get him back to that level then good for him I like Murray I think he's a good player I think he's good for the game I was happy for him that he won Wimbledon last year to get that the whole British monkey off you know their back even though my wife says it didn't really count because he's he's Scottish he's not English so she would be right it shouldn't count, but yeah, they they'll they'll, they'll count it anyway. So, uh, as a good friend says to me, when he wins, he's British, and when he loses, he's Scottish. That's right. <laughs> so you know, I'm happy for him. Hopefully, you know that maybe this will lead to more you know women coaching men because I'm sure there are some definite coaches out there that are good coaches that could help some men players that aren't necessarily men that are women so hopefully this will start a trend absolutely so the other question i think nadal is crazy playing i think there's no i think it might hurt him worse if he goes farther in this tournament in Halle, uh this grass court tournament i know roger's in it too so he could meet federer in the final but it's almost better if he pulls out A or B just, you know, kind of half-heartedly plays, even though that's hard, would be hard for him to do. But, you know, a couple, I think it was a couple years. Last year, I don't believe he played in any of the grass court tournaments leading up to Wimbledon. I think two years ago, he played. And look what happened. He made the final and lost to Sanga. So, look what happened. I know, but that could happen, too, whether you play, you know, hollow or not. I mean, the guy, Darsus you know, just got on fire, had one of his best days ever. You know, Roger last year played uh, the grass court tune-up, and he lost in, what, second round last year, third round? Sure. So, I mean, I don't think that it has any bearing necessarily. I mean, Novak takes the whole 
grass court season off except for Wimbledon and he got to the finals last year and won it before that so I think uh, Novak might be onto something that's why it'd be better to spread the grass court season out because it's so compacted right now that Novak one of the top players doesn't even play any of the grass court tournaments and just plays Wimbledon but I would also say that that would not be his first choice meaning um you know, you add in the, the the extra week next year, and I will bet that Novak doesn't take three weeks off. So I think that might be the difference. Yeah, you may be right. So that uh, any other uh, parting thoughts or anything on the French Open before we move on to to women? No, the, the only thing I would say too is, you know, it, it was also nice to see the last North American players in both the men's and women's draws coming from Canada. So. <laughs> You know, it's, it's nice, you know, we're starting to get used to that now, and I think, um, you know, with Milos firmly, firmly entrenched in the top ten and John Isner showing that he's a one-trick pony, um, <laughs> that, that I, I, would, I would, I'm not going to say it's going to continue in the women's draw at Wimbledon, but, you know, I, I think, you know, Jeannie being the only women's player to be the semifinal of both majors this year, and Milos showing that he's, you know, for someone's game who whose movement is limited, he's showing a lot of growth. And, you know, he's playing the best players tighter and tighter. And I, and I think that uh, from someone from Canada, there's a reason for a lot of optimism here. And I think Jeannie is actually getting pretty close. I'd agree with you. I think Jeannie has a... Uh, I'd wager, if I was a betting person, I'd wager on her winning a slam before Rayanich wins his slam. And Absolutely. And I really like the way she plays, and, and that's a good point. You know, she's the only woman to make both semifinals so far in slams this year. I just have one problem, though, with Milos, and I don't know if you can guess what it is. I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of problems, but what's your, what's your problem? His well, hair? Mine is more superficial than anything, but, and I probably get this from my wife, who, who would pick on this as well, but... We don't need any Allen Iverson sleeves on your right arm when you're playing tennis. <laughs> I don't understand the sleeve. I mean, I guess, you know, because of his powerful serve that he has to wear the sleeve. But come on, get rid of the sleeve. That's, that, that, we don't need that. Well, it was a good luck charm. I think he initially felt like it supported his arm well, and then he's, he feels like he's been playing well with it, so he's kept the sleeve. But I don't have any faith in it. I mean, Milo should really have to... Get on fire, I think, with the serve. I mean, maybe he has a better chance at Wimbledon than any of the other slams with his big serve. But well, if this was 15 years ago and the grass at Wimbledon was really slippery, you know, he would have been the he would have fit right into the Ivanisevic, Krychek era of big servers who did well at Wimbledon. And I would say, if it was like that, we'd give him a chance to win. Yes, but unfortunately for him. It isn't the same old Wimbledon where it's just so fast and, and points are really short. And not only that, I, I have this debate all the time, but during that big server era, the players just weren't as, as good. I think that's why Roger dominated so much. The, the, play, the play today is as good, you know, when you look at the top ten players, it's as good as it's ever been. I mean, it's really tough. And then the top four guys are just on another level. Altogether, you really didn't have that. I mean, you had the number one players back then were Hewitt and, you know, Agassi was on his last legs, you know, in the late 90s and early 2000s. Sampras was the same way. 
when you know that kind of era. That's why I think even Isovich and Krychek. I mean, even uh, who was the other, who was now Bandian? Now Bandian made a a final at Wimbledon, and I think it was just you know that was kind of a, a transition era. And it's tough even for big servers. I agree with you though. Wimbledon has gotten a lot slower and. And uh, the footing is a lot better than it used to be. But I think that's also another reason why the big servers don't play as well. And plus, no one serves in volleys anymore. No one. Well, I was going to say, since Patrick Rafter, there really hasn't been a top-level player that serves in volleys. Do you think we'll ever see one? No, I don't. I don't, I don't even think at the big academies now, whether it be in Florida or in Spain. I mean, if, if you're at, like, the sanchez Casal Academy in Spain... You're not learning serving and volleying. It's just, it's not something, it's not your primary resource. I mean, credit to Rafa that he's, he's sort of added that to his game and it's made him, I think, better to close out points. At, um, but I, I just don't see it. I, I don't see it. I, I, think someone, I think someone will come along and do it. Someone, you know, it, I, it, yes, everyone is going to just learn the baseline game and, you know, rallying and ground strokes. But I think someone will come along with a serve and volley game because it'll be different than everyone else. And no one will have seen it before. And, you know, it'll be a, a player and he'll have some success and then maybe more players will do it. I always like the serve and volley game. I like those guys. And it's it's a little disappointing that it's kind of gone the way of the wood racket. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> so to, let's wrap things up here i'm gonna make this difficult again last time i said give me a winner on the men's and women's side of the french so first a give me a women's winner and then well let's do that first let's give me your women's your women's winner first. well well you almost have to i don't want to say you have to see the draw but can we say like it's Serena and then pick someone else? Because oh, absolutely, just, this you know, is before the draw, before we know anything about injuries or anything, before how people are playing going into it. Right now you hold a gun to my head. I take Serena for sure. Okay, I'll take Serena too, of course. Now <laughs> that was the easy part. Here's the hard part. Now the men's. I I don't know if you saw this, but they showed a graphic on the during the final of the men yesterday, and Murray, Roger, Nadal, and Novak. Those four have won thirty five of the last thirty seven majors. So right. it's going to be one of those four. I mean, right. face facts. It's going to be one of those yeah, four. Yeah. So let's go through each one and tell me how far they get. Ooh. Okay. Novak, how far does he get? Novak gets to the final. Nadal. He gets to the quarters. Roger, better. Where is he going to be? Yeah, he gets to the... He's going to be seated, I would think. Four? Five? I don't know. Well, Stan is still up there, isn't he? Yeah, that's true. Stan's up, but Murray isn't. Murray was Murray's seven. now five. He moved up to five, though, because he had no points on the board from the That's right. French from last year. French. So he's, what, so Roger six? See, it's hard to make this. The reason, and you know why, because Murray's five. And so whoever those top four, you want to avoid Murray in your quarter, right? Yeah. That's right. And it's kind of the luck of the draw, how you... It is. It's not, like, set in stone. 
No. Which is a, a topic for another day that they should probably set these things in stone. But anyways, so again, it's... it's Although there are rumblings that I've been reading that the Wimbledon organizers are strongly considering seating because you know how you can, at Wimbledon, you're allowed to move seeds based on performance, and they're thinking of moving Murray 4 and putting Ferrer 5. I, uh, okay. <laughs> Ferrer shouldn't even be 5, in my opinion. I don't even know why you're moving him down to 5 on grass. If you're going to move him, move him, you know, you got to move him behind the, all the big guys. But right. Anyway. Okay, so sorry. So how far does Roger get? Ugh, I mean, Roger will get to the quarters, at least. So you're calling quarters and out? Yeah. Okay, and then Murray? I think Murray gets to the final. Well, who wins it? You haven't picked a winner yet. Well, you said how far they get, so I said final and final. <laughs> well, who wins it, then? So you have Murray and Novak. It's a repeat of last year in the final. And I got Novak. Okay. I'm gonna. So no one will. No one will be. None of the big four will be upset before the uh, quarters. Quarters. How far do you think Stan makes it? Stands out in the fourth round. All right. I'm gonna go with. I think Novak wins it. Oh, so we agree again. So no way this is happening. Novak's gonna win it. I think he'll beat. I think he'll beat. You want to say Roger? I do. I'm gonna. I know you do. Team. I can see it. I'm gonna say. I'll say Federer. He'll beat Federer <laughs> in the final. I think. I think Nadal will get beat early. I think, especially if he goes far in this grass court thing in Hala, I think he's gonna get beat around round three. I don't have much faith in Nadal on grass anymore, and I think Murray. Uh, Murray will get beat. I'll say he gets beat in the semis. I think Roger will take him out. If not, maybe like the quarters if they have to face each other in the quarters because of the draw. I, I don't see Murray getting to the final. He just got... I mean, I know he had a nice run and Clay is obviously his worst service, but boy, he just got destroyed by Nadal. At the, I just throw that result completely out. Yeah, that's true. You could because he didn't do anything last year at the French, so he didn't play. Yeah. And two years ago, he got dominated by Ferrer. So, Ferrer have any chance? None. Uh, anybody else? Like, if you could throw a wild card out there, just someone, you know, like this. This past tournament, we had a Golbis go far uh, in Australia. It was uh, Dimitrov made a run. What, what? Give me one player that can make a run. Uh, I'll give you two. Oh. I mean, I think Sanga is scary. Sanga, to me, when he's at his best. Okay. He hasn't done it in a while. No. And I think Milos on this service has a chance to take out outside of Djokovic and probably Murray. I could see Milos beating anybody else on this surface. Yeah. I, I'll give you Milos. I'm not giving you Sanga. I think Sanga, I don't know what's happened to him. Uh, Sanga, I mean, he, you would think he would have come out better against, uh, who did he play, Novak at the French? Or was it Roger? Uh, Novak. Novak. And just got clean. Yeah, Novak and just, it was a complete beatdown. So yeah. I have a, 
I think Sangha's head is somewhere else right now. I think it probably started with some sort of injury or something, and he's lost his confidence. I, I don't see him making a run. I agree. When he was on top of his game, when when Sangha was playing his absolute best, I think he was as good or better than anybody. But he can't keep it up. You know, he can keep it up for maybe a set, and then you know he comes back down to earth. But if I had to pick one, I think Rayanich is a good pick. I would. You know who I'd love to say here, but I know you would completely disagree. And that Isner? I have no idea. Or Isner. But, I mean, you would think he would play well on grass, but he's got a grass court game, but he just doesn't play that well here. He goes out sooner than you'd think. So, oh. you know what? I'm going to go. Jeez. I guess I'll, if I have to, I, I probably have to look at it harder, but I'll go with Dimitrov. I know he had a terrible French Open, but he made a run in Australia, and he's got the game. I think he might be the one that can make a semi or a quarterfinal. Well, we'll, we'll narrow it down once we get the draws. That's right. We'll narrow it down. All right, Franklin, uh, anything else coming up for you? Not a lot. Just going <laughs> to sit back and watch the uh, NHL and NBA games. It's perfect. That's right. That's right. NHL and NBA finals. Uh, any any quick closing comments about those two series before we get out of here? Well, we'll know if we have an NHL final if, if the Rangers can win game three. And in the NBA, I really don't know who's going to win the series, and I love not knowing. I sort of think the Spurs are going to win. I think they're going to wear down the heat, but... It's hard to say anything definitively against LeBron because he's so good. So I, I love watching that series because I, I truly don't know the outcome. Yeah, I think the Rangers could win tonight. I have, I think it's an advantage to that it's only one day in between. You know, they can kind of get over game two quickly, get back on the ice in front of their home fans. I think they probably will win tonight. Might be their only win of the series, as I predicted before. But I think they have probably win. And I think the Spurs really blew an opportunity last night. I mean, last year, I was picking the Spurs all the way. I thought they were going to beat the Heat. They should have beat the Heat in six last year. They couldn't. They were one defensive rebound away from winning the series. And I think you've got to beat the Heat two in a row. They haven't lost back-to-back playoff games at all this year, and I don't know if they lost any last year. You got it. I think last night was a huge opportunity because I'm not sure if they can win one in, in Miami. They're going to have to go in now and win because if they're down 3-1, it's over, I think. I think Miami may have took, taken a big step towards winning the series last night, but we'll see. And I'm it's not fun, though. It's a fun series, and I, I, watching the Spurs play, it, it's good for the NBA the way they move the ball on offense. I mean, it, it is fun to watch. It's beautiful to watch, and it's not that ISO game. Yeah. So the Spurs winning is a good thing for just aesthetically pleasing viewing of basketball in the league. So I sort of root for them. All right, me too. All right, Franklin, until next time, uh, hopefully we can uh, check in again next week, and we'll maybe we'll do a post-Stanley Cup final podcast, and then... We'll maybe do one heading into Wimbledon or during Wimbledon or sometime around then. All right? Sounds great. All right. Thanks, Franklin. Take care. Have fun in Toronto. Thanks, Tom. All right. See you.